You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. Uh, turn in your Bibles or your device, whatever you got, to Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2 will be in uh, 1 through 10. We'll camp out there for a while. And as we launch into um, Love Healing today, uh, my goal is that this text would activate our faith. Your faith has to be activated. That's what this text tells us. And that as our faith is activated, as we try and love healing with the power and by the power of the Holy Spirit, that lives across this borough, right, who are dead in sin and transgressions would be made alive, made new in Christ. And we'd see in a movement amongst healing started amongst this body. And look at how Paul starts this chapter too. Spoiler alert, the bad news comes first. It always comes first, right? Um, Paul says in the first three verses that we were so dead that it takes three verses to describe how dead we were. Look at verse one through three. As for you, he doesn't want us to mistake it. You were dead in your transgressions and sins, which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. This is past tense, church. And the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, all of us who lived, used to live, among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts, like the rest, we were by nature, were by nature, deserving of wrath. You see, if you've never truly repented, turned, that's, I'm going this way and and I'm turned, and I'm not going that way anymore. If you've never repented of your sin or even realized that you were born with sin and you can't do anything about it, then this part's for you. Maybe you think that you've turned, but you haven't really turned. And this life that you're living is still just for you. You've never fully turned and headed towards him. This part's for you. Look at verse 3. Look at verse 3 again. All of us who lived among them at one time, those gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts, like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Let me ask you a question. Do you wake up in the morning and surrender the day to God, thanking him for the breath of life? Or do you dive right into the cares and thoughts of your day? In other words, do you see the day as yours Or do you see the day as his and what he has for you? How often do you think about Christ or converse with him during your day? How does God or his plan or his desire for you, how does that fit into your day? You see, the cravings of the flesh and following its desires and thought, it's not just sexual immorality and bad stuff. It means only doing what you want to do. And thinking only about what you need to do to advance. And going where you want to go. And making sure you're treated the way you ought to be treated. Romans 1. I think Paul was thinking about that when he wrote this. Because he says in Romans 1 that the wrath of God is being revealed to those who know God. But they suppress him. You see, if you're suppressing something, you know it's there. And you're holding it down. And he says, sadly, three times over the next number of verses that, that if that's you and you know there's a God and you know, you know he's waiting for you to turn to him, fully surrender, that he'll give you over to your stuff. 
He'll give you over. This is the greatest punishment of God in this life, is that you suppress him, and he'll give you over to all of the things that you're doing. You see, that's great punishment. And he'll say, Greg, go ahead and chase that. It has nothing to do with me or my kingdom or my kingdom advance or what I want to do through you, but you go ahead and chase that. I'm better, but go ahead. See, that's what Romans 1 says. It says, he'll give us over and give us over and give us over. We don't want that. You see, because that, that means we're just walking dead in our stuff, following our desires, not the one who desires to use us. You see, Paul doesn't spend all this time telling us how dead we were because it's morbid, but because he wants to tell us, and he can't wait to tell us what God did and what God wants for us. And that's where he goes. And it's, and it's not morbid or sad. It's, are you kidding me? See, that's Ephesians. The whole book is, are you kidding me? This is where you were. And this is where you are. You see, and he always starts this, are you kidding me, self, with, but God. Right? So, so, so look at 4 through 10. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages, that's now, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace through us, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you've been saved. Just in case you missed it, he says it again. How? Through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. That's the gift. Not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us. One of my goals for today is to remind us, church, is that if you've been saved by grace, you were, my, my little, she loves to pick up branches. We always have branches all over our house, actual tree branches. They're all over our house. I'm like, why did this get in here? She loves to pick up branches. I have no idea why. But I'm reminded often, and I share it often, that like a dead branch on the ground, that's, that's who we were. That's what we were, and God picked us up, and he grafted us back into the tree of life. Next time you're in a park, pick up a branch and walk up to somebody and say, hey, will you put that back on that tree for me? That's what he did, and we can bear fruit. It's not just stuck up there with tape. It's grafted back in. That's what Paul's telling us. That's what he did for you if you're saved by grace. We have a friend in the States. His name's Otis. He actually remind, Noble actually reminds me of him. He's this big, powerful guy, and his, his heart's just as big because he literally pulls people off the streets, Otis does, drug addicts, homeless, drunkards. He just he grabs them, and he takes them to safety and warm places, and he wants to see them healed of their stuff, but he wants them to be healed eternally. You see, Otis... Otis knows. Otis was in prison, and Otis had a life sentence. He was not getting out. He was going to die in prison. 
But while he's in prison, after coming to Christ, he started developing a craft, and it was baking. And he worked his way up to become the, the head baker in the governor's mansion and develop a relationship with the family of the governor. He wanted to develop a relationship with anybody because he just loved Jesus. And he became so well-known by this governor, so beloved by this governor, when the governor left office, he pardoned Otis. He took away his life sentence. <laughs> How good is that? But Otis would say that it's even, there's an even greater picture than that. You see, because church, to stop there is just missing the rest of your life. You see, Otis was rejoicing and living abundantly already in prison. And by the way, the writer of this letter that we look at today, he was in prison when he wrote it. And he's got joy, right? See, it's not about your situation. It's about who's leading your life. Yes. If you're saved, then you've begun to live and work for him. And it's for eternal stuff, not for this blink of possibly 70 or 80 years. If you even get that, Paul is telling us. I want you to look at Philippians 2 now, verses 9 through 11. You should take a look at this. Not this. Take a look at the verse. Mark's going to help me out in a second. Therefore, God. Look at Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Being found in appearance in a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. He gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, just in case you're wondering what that means. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, church, everyone, this verse tells us that everyone will live eternally. Everybody. Every living, breathing being is going to live eternally. It's just a matter of where. And I want us to see today, as, as Mark's going to help me out and just walk this up, th if this represents our life, if this represents our life, sorry, Rich, this isn't to hang you there. If this represents our life, I just, I just wanted to give us a picture. If this represents our life, this knotted up piece of rope, then the stuff that we worry about, if this is eternal life, and the stuff, there's, there's, there's some electrical tape right here. The stuff we worry about, the stuff we fixate on, careers, jobs, bills, social media, stuff. It's all right here in this little piece of this eternal life. It's right here. That's it, and it's never going to last the stuff we invest in and spend the most time on sometimes. It's, it's not going to carry into this. It's just right here. And that little sliver, even if we get all of that. You see, if it's about eternity, we're just babies anyway. We're all the same age. That's the way God sees us anyway. But you might say, Greg, you don't know my life. I don't have to, because the one who created you knows it. He knows everything. He's not surprised. He's waiting for you to bring it to him. You see, at some point, we have to become more concerned with the meeting we will have 
when we stand before God and less concerned with a meeting with our boss or somebody else. What you do here in that little piece, what you do here, and who you follow here, and what you give your life to here, and what you invest in here, it matters for the rest of your life. I just wanted to get that picture, because that's, that's what this is saying. Everyone you're around is going to bow the knee at some point. And my heart breaks. I work with young men for a living. My heart's going to break today. I'll see 20 or 30 of them today, and not one of them is following Jesus. And my heart will break, because they're going to bow the knee at some point, and for the rest of eternity, may not be with him. That's why we got to love Ely. That's why we launch into this. Paul is telling us, if you look at Ephesians 8 through 10, that the gift of God, thanks Mark, is faith, faith that is activated, faith that is turned on, faith that is moving into the work God's got for you, the eternal work. You see, this is Christmas time. I get it, right? Baby Jesus in the manger. But that's not the gift of God. It's a miracle, but it's not the gift of God. Jesus' death on the cross, taking the weight of our sin, it's a miracle of God, but it's not the gift of God. Raising Jesus from the dead, it's a miracle of God, but it's not the gift of God. As the next slide shows, at some point, faith, your faith has to be activated. It has to lead you into a step or a jump of active faith. The gift of God is an act of faith. To believe all that stuff, do you realize what we believe? We believe that that baby that we celebrate in this time of year was God yes. in the flesh. Faith, activated faith, believes that. I can't wait to tell somebody about that. Yes. Activated faith is that sacrificial death on the cross. It blows you away because that was your sin that held him up there. And that miraculous resurrection, that victory over death, it was for you. It was for you. So that you, you wouldn't live your life, but that you'd live the life he's called you into. That you couldn't wait to jump into it. That's what Paul, that's how he writes in this, in these verses. My littlest, Camille, she loves to play hide-and-seek, and she hides in the most obvious places like this. But it's so beautiful because when you find her, which isn't too hard, she screams with joy and runs. I don't know where, just runs with joy when she's found. She can't wait to be found. Have you received that gift? Are you living with that kind of joy and freedom of someone who's been rescued, someone who's been found by God, transformed from death and darkness? Is that you? Yes. Some, some people, they read. And I'm not just making this up. Look at, look at John 5. Look at John, actually, you don't have to go. It's on the screen. John 5, 39 and 40. It says this, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, Jesus says, but you refuse to come to me to have life. Some people read or listen to this book their whole life, and they never come in faith and surrender. The faith is never activated. You see, if I, uh, uh, Pete, come here for a second. 
kind of awkward, isn't it? <laughs> you can sit down. Like, the, the trouble isn't, like, Pete was obedient, right? I said, hey, Pete, come here. And for some reason, trust me, he came. Like, the, the trouble is, isn't that, and what was he waiting for? What was he waiting for? Money. Well, maybe, probably. <laughs> He was, he was waiting for me to tell him what to do, right? Because you don't call somebody up and just let them stand there. You don't do that. You don't call somebody into new life and just let them stand there. And he says in the scriptures, don't think that you chose me. Well, I added that part. He says, I chose you. You didn't choose me. And you don't, you don't call somebody and not tell them what to do. The problem isn't that he won't tell us. The problem is that we're not coming. That's what it says in the scriptures. That's the problem. So many of us, we just stay on the sidelines, maybe, maybe wearing the jersey or the kit or the uniform or whatever you want to call it, and never going into the game. Can you imagine Whatever your team is, the star player after the game, and somebody asked, how was it? Well, I didn't really go in. I didn't really want to play. Yes, I know you guys have invested millions in me, but I'm not really interested in playing. I just want to wear the uniform and sit on the sidelines. I just want to be on the team. What would you say? That doesn't make any sense. You just want to wear the name, but you don't want to play. It might hurt a little bit. You might lose every once in a while. You might suffer a bit. Look at James 1, 22. It's all over the scriptures. I just wanted you to think I was making it up. Look at James 1, 22. Don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. It's pretty plain, pretty plain here. That's James. Do what it says. Grace saves us. Faith propels us. Active faith propels us to go out and love our neighbor. That's what active faith does. And when you step out, he doesn't make it hard. It won't be hard. The word tells us the one who's called you is faithful. He'll do it. No, it says he'll surely do it. He'll surely do it. Look at how Paul closes in Ephesians 2, 10. For we are God's handiwork. We are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Jesus did not have to die for us to be comfortable, to pursue our own gain, but to do all we are doing for his gain, for his pleasure. He'll do the work. If we'll take a step of faith right where he's planted you, you don't have to move. You don't have to get on a plane. You do it right where you are. You see, it's not a step of faith to jump out of bed and run into your day. It's a step to get up and wrestle with being still. No devices before God and his word in prayer. Maybe that's your step of faith. It's not a step of faith to open up your pad or phone or device, but it may be God's good work for you today to cut it off. And really listen to your spouse. Really talk to your spouse. Really dive in with your kids and be present with them. Or maybe a group of friends. 
It's not a step of faith to have lunch by yourself or get a snack by yourself, but it's a step of faith to ask that coworker to join you or that neighbor to join you or how you can pray for them. That's a step of faith. Take a look at this next slide. This is what it looks like. This is what it looks like. And when I first saw that, I was like, that's scary. I wouldn't do that. But I have. Not exactly like that. But you see the harness. You see the harness. And that's, that's, that's our faith. Like, he's there. He'll catch you. He'll catch you every single time. It says in John 10 that you're in, if you're in his grip, he'll never let you go. You'll never be released. Once rescued, always rescued. You can't leave. Here's the catch. You see, we, I've got five children, and we've seen this a number of times. When that baby takes the first step, what do we do? We applaud, right? Yes, we got pictures, cameras, everything. And then what happens to that baby? Right on his face, right? But we applaud. We're like, yes, calling people. Can't wait to show it. It never gets old, by the way. Then they take another step. We're like, whoa, that's us. That's us. If it's about eternity, we're just babies. My kids love to hear me say that we're the same age. I mean, when God looks down, we're all just babies. That's us. But babies always take a step. Take a step. Start walking. See growth. He can't wait. He can't wait. What are you doing when, you're, when your baby's out? You're, you're waiting. You're right there. Okay, come on, come on. You're right there. That, that's the picture. That's the picture. God is applauding when he takes a step. He's there. So as we start to love healing well this week, ask God to activate your faith if you've never done it. And just take a step. Just take a step.